Christmas is complicated, is it not? It's expensive. It can be exhausting. It used to be much simpler, or at least that's how I remember it. It definitely didn't used to last as long as it does. It was 12 days of Christmas, right? You had drummers and pipers and dancers. There was some cow milking going on, a bunch of birds, of course, five golden rings. But now it starts right after Halloween. And it's bumper-to-bumper traffic, constant chaos. Carols now start long before Thanksgiving. Listen, I'm not a Scrooge, but there's only so much fa-la-la-las a guy can take. It's like, where's the spiked eggnog? Let's just get to December 26th. So it's complicated. It's messy. And then, of course, you have family in close proximity and all the drama that goes along with that, especially this year at family gatherings, mask or no mask. And if you you show up at a gathering, you better be able to produce a negative COVID test, you know, bring that with you. It's Cousin Eddie showing up in his RV and you'll shoot your eye out with that thing, kid, or, or you stink. You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. It's forgetting to hide your elf on the shelf. Come on, how many of you have done that? And your three-year-old is wondering why the elf hasn't moved in three days. Listen, it's complicated. And all that stuff, that's on us. Like, we made it that way. But the original Christmas was complicated. Like, think about it. Mary, nine months pregnant, traveling to Bethlehem to pay a tax bill in person. Like, imagine if you couldn't hit up the H&R block and e-file and you had to hoof it to D.C. or you had to walk to the city where you were born. For me, that'd be Tucson, Arizona. Like, ultra pregnant, you had to walk that far. And then, of course, there was no room in the inn, that whole thing going on, and sleeping with the livestock in a cave which, come on, really? God could have booked them a room. He had thousands of years to plan that. But the original Christmas was also complicated by scandal. Like, think about it. Mary and Joseph and the whole pregnancy out of wedlock thing. I'm sure nobody was buying the whole, it's not my baby, it's God's baby. And in the middle of all that drama, there was a powerful king who wanted to stop Christmas who was actively working against it. He was the most powerful person in the country at that time. His name is King Herod. In fact, he named himself Herod the Great, and he wanted to put an end to the whole thing. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 18. And we don't often read this at Christmas, and you're going to understand why in a minute. But verse 13 says this, Now, when they departed, they, by the way, are the wise men. They, they dropped off their gifts and they, they took off. It says, now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod, there he is, will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, in that prophet's Hosea, by the way, saying, out of Egypt I have called my son. In fact, there were some 400 plus prophecies about the birth of the Messiah. Verse 15 says, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, because he told the wise men, hey, go find the baby Jesus and come back and let me know where he is so I can worship him too. He says he was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children 
who were born in Bethlehem and in all its district from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then it was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, some of you are like, I understand why we don't read this at Christmas. This lunatic king was killing all the baby boys in order to stop the Messiah from coming. I want to explain what God is doing in all this. Because believe it or not, God has a plan. In all the complication, in all the mess, in all the chaos, God has a plan. And perhaps we feel the same way about this year and about this Christmas, but just because it's complicated and chaotic and, and a mess does not mean God's not moving. In fact, I'd propose that he uses chaos and, and complications to lead us to his plans and purposes for our life. Complications can be God's way of telling us, hey, you're not in control. Now, I have two jobs here on this Christmas Eve. Listen, I know my role. I know my, my lane I should run in. And one is to be encouraging. And I've already kind of blown that one with the whole Rachel weeping for her children. But also, my job is to be quick. Because there's Christmas PJs to open up. Or some of you might open all your gifts on Christmas Eve. And if that's you, I'll pray for you. Or, or, or you still have presents to wrap because you waited until the very last possible minute. So I know there are a million other things going on right now, so I'm going to be quick. There were two plans unfolding in the text that we just read. One was Herod's plan, which was the death of Jesus. Like he wanted to kill Jesus. Why? Because he did not want a competing king in Israel. Herod had issues. He was an evil king. He, he was on this enormous power trip, and history tells us he was a short man, so he had a little bit of a Napoleon syndrome with a bad temper. And he was like a mean chihuahua that ruled from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C., and he was called Herod the Great. But his favorite title was King of the Jews, which, by the way, does that sound familiar to anyone? It should because that's what was written in three different languages on the plaque that hung above Jesus on the cross when they crucified him. Because the Bible prophesied that Jesus was the long-awaited king of the Jews. So, of course, Herod was, was threatened by anyone that might disrupt his status as king. And so his plan then was to kill everyone, anyone, even if it was babies that might threaten his kingship. Now, I know it sounds crazy, but this is the kind of king that Herod was. In fact, Josephus, the historian, tells us that he killed two of his own sons because he was paranoid that they wanted the throne. An interesting fact about this so-called king of the Jews is that he wasn't even Jewish. He was an Edomite that married a Jewish woman, but turns out he killed her too and his mother-in-law as well. So Herod was straight crazy. There was an expression circulating during this time that said it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his child. Like all that to say, killing innocent baby boys for this psychopath was not even a big deal. But Herod was nothing more than a pawn because this plan to stop the Messiah, it wasn't original with him. 
In fact, it was going on since the Garden of Eden when humanity first fell. The plan to to stop the Messiah shows up all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. When man fell, Adam and Eve, right, they, they took the fruit. And as God was handing out consequences, he spoke a prophecy. This prophecy about the way that he would restore what was broken. Because what had been broken in that moment was our relationship with God. And the answer was his son, his one and only son, Jesus, would come as a Messiah to restore us back to God. In Genesis 3.15, it says this, that you will strike his heel. Speaking of Jesus, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Colby, this Christmas Eve is getting weirder by the minute. Like, what does that mean? You think that's weird. I'm about to take it to a whole new level of weird. Just hang in there. But this means that the serpent, Satan, is going to strike the heel of Jesus. And a heel wound, well, that's going to put you down for, well, in Jesus's case, about three days. But Jesus would stomp on the head of that viper and deal with that snake on the third day. And that's what God said the Messiah would do all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, that his son would come and defeat the enemy. So guess what? Satan spends the rest of his time trying not to get his head stomped. God just told him, hey, my son's coming. He's going to crush your head. So knowing that, Satan spends the rest of the Old Testament, all into the New Testament, really until the end of the book, trying to avoid getting his head crushed. And so all these prophecies, around 400 of them, start being told, pointing to the Messiah who is to come. Like God promised that the Messiah would come through this line and that line, starting with Adam and Eve, and then he gets more specific as time goes on, that he would come through Abraham. He said, out of your family, the Messiah is going to come, a deliverer will come. And then Moses, you know, in the tribe of Judah, then he talks about him coming from the line of King David. Listen, why do you think King Saul wake up, wakes up one day, you know, taken over by an evil spirit and tries to kill David, tries to pin him to the wall with his spear? This is Satan trying to avoid getting his head crushed. And Satan gets more focused in his attacks as he learns more about where the Messiah is going to come from. In fact, let's throw this in a Christmas Eve message. Why not? Revelation 12, 4, God describes the the nation of Israel as a woman who's about to have a baby. It says this, I saw a huge fiery red dragon with 10 horns and seven heads and, and the dragon crouched before the woman who was about to give birth, poised to devour the baby the moment it was born. Come on, you've never heard that on Christmas Eve. You're welcome sleep tight, right? And all the children all snuggled up in their beds while visions of red dragons danced in their heads. Like that's that's human history. That's current history regarding the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and every attempt at anti-Semitism. There are still prophecies connected to Israel and to the the, the second coming of Christ. And you see all over the news, all, all the time, the narrative concerning Israel. All the attacks on Israel, let's kill Israel, let's wipe out Israel. Why? Because the snake doesn't want to get his head crushed. So that's why this evil King Herod, he was hell-bent on killing the Messiah. Because God was sending his son, the Messiah, to restore what was broken in the garden. And to bring back a fallen humanity. And the only way 
was through a rescuer. And the devil didn't want to get his head crushed. So, so Herod ordered, kill all the baby boys that are two and under. But his plan failed and God's son was born. Come on, Jesus lived. In fact, here are the last words spoken of Herod the Great. Matthew 2, 19 and 20 says, Now when Herod was dead. See, Herod's all like, I'm going to kill Jesus. I'm going to kill the Messiah. And God's like, just stop it. No, you're not. And it says, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are now dead. So they go to Nazareth, where he would grow up. That's why he's referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. The point is, Herod thought that through death, he could stop Christmas. But God knew that through Christmas, he could stop death. Now how? How would God put an end to death through Christmas? Because after all, this seems to be a very uneasy beginning to the birth of Jesus, right? And that's the reality of what's happening in the world in that day. It was dark. The first Christmas was marked by death and screaming mothers, and being on the run, fleeing to other countries, so much unknown, so much grieving. And today, the reality is many of us enter this Christmas season with grief in our heart, with brokenness in our world. There's pain, there's struggle, there's uncertainty, anger, division, criticism, there, there's evil lurking to kill, that which could bring peace and comfort and rescue in your life, perhaps more this year than ever, we feel as though the enemy is still trying to stop the Messiah from coming, to do all that he can not to get his head crushed, trying to stop hope from coming into your lives, trying to stop church gatherings, trying to stop families from getting together, stop schools you know, from, from being open, stop work, trying to disrupt and destroy your chances of finding peace and connecting to a savior this season. One of my good friends has experienced this on all fronts. And he has walked through this season with, with so many families carrying so much responsibility. Listen, I can't even imagine the toll that this year has taken on him. But when times were toughest and when there were more questions than answers, he turned to his faith in Jesus. I'm uh, Marty Rimpa. I have a wonderful wife, Tina and uh, three, three children that I'm so proud of. Uh, the, the girls are in college, finishing up, uh, and uh, one's a senior, one's a junior, and then my son Jack is a senior at uh, Fort LaBeouf right now. I do a job that, that I love. I work as the, uh, currently as the principal at Fort LaBeouf High School, and uh, um, I, I get a chance to work in an incredible community. Wonderful, wonderful people that, that just step up all the time to help out, support the students, support the community in so many ways. It's the, it's the reason that we live, my wife and I chose to live in a small town um, where there's just so much support and so much love for the students and, and support for the students. You know, of course, for everyone, last March when, when everything started to open up and unfold, March and April, uh, you know, there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety eventually sometimes even led to anger. You know, there were times that, that I felt like the kids were losing out on so much. Our seniors at the time, I just felt like so much was ripped from them. I'm 
you know, as a family, you can vacation in six months later, or you can vacation two years later or five years later, and you can still experience a, a tropical vacation or whatever, whatever you want to do. But you can only have one senior soccer season. You can only have one senior football season. If there was a moment, it was when we were getting closer and closer to graduation, and we were all working so hard to provide different opportunities and recognize kids and celebrate these seniors because we felt they'd earned it and they deserved it. And there was just so much criticism of what we were doing and that it wasn't enough. And that, that was probably rock bottom for me. Um, when, when I felt like I can't put any more than this into this, you know, many nights, you know, up, you just, you know, you fall asleep because you're exhausted. And the next thing you know, it's 3.30, you're walking the house, looking out the window, and, and, and you know, I find myself deep in prayer again and again. I think several times, why is this happening? Why is it my son or my daughter that's losing out on these experiences? And then you, you start to recognize, and maybe, maybe my family and me particular, Maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on worldly things instead of diving deeper and deeper into scripture, and more and more focused on God's word. And it's probably where I'm at now is, is again, recognizing that all these things, they, they come and go. They're, they're really, they're fun, they're events, they're, they're experiences, they're activities. But what's most important is, is that relationship with Jesus. For all my questioning 
idea who's watching this, but I just feel like I'm on assignment to remind you that death is the reason that there ever was a Christmas. Like Jesus came to solve the problem of death. Now, although surrounding his birth, there was so much bloodshed and so much death, but he came to solve it. How exactly did he solve it? Well, Herod's plan, remember, was the death of Jesus. Coincidentally, God's plan is also the death of Jesus. It's the same plan. Only it would not take place in Bethlehem as a baby, but in Jerusalem, just outside the city as a full-grown man, hanging on a cross, taking on himself the sins of the world. Not as a baby who didn't have any say in the matter, but as a 33-year-old man who could say, I willingly lay my life down on your behalf. Here's the Christmas story. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us to restore a broken 
humanity. He became human, taking our place on the cross. See, it should be me. It should be you dying for our sins because we all fall short of the glory of God and the payment for our sins is death. Yes, we're all gonna die physically, but true death is being dead on the inside spiritually because being dead spiritually is what keeps us from our creator. And if when we die physically, we are dead spiritually, then we will remain dead forever. And God doesn't want that for any of you. So he sent Jesus to lay down his life. Herod thought that he was the man. Herod thought that that he was in control of his own fate. Uh, Here's our choice that we have tonight. Will we be Herod? And will we cling to our own fate? Will we we be the, the captain of our soul? Or do we willingly humble ourselves before Jesus and discover that it's only when we lose our lives that we really gain them. And we gain a better life than we could ever imagine, a life without shame, a life without guilt, an eternal life, where Jesus invites us to live with him in eternity. Listen, that's the entire point of the Christmas story. You know what, Christmas is not a compliment. Like it's not. Christmas is God's way of saying, there is no way you could do this on your own. So my plan is to allow my son to pay for your sins and the sins of the world. No matter what you've done or where you've been, if you do that, if you come to Jesus, he will save you. He will set you free. He'll give you a new life. And I believe that for many of you watching, like that's why you're tuned in right now. And Christmas wasn't the end of something, it was the beginning. And I believe that this tonight could be the new beginning in your life. Here's what I want you to do right now. Take out your phone. Like everybody watching, maybe you're watching on your phone. And if you are, you might just have to screen capture this number. But if not, get out your phone. Come on, everybody, let's play along. Get out your phone. Open up your text messages and put in this number right here. 97,000, 97,000. And then wait, because before I tell you what to type in that text, I wanna tell you who this is for. Are you ready? Come on, got your phone out? Let's all play along. This is almost kind of like a choose your own ending Christmas Eve, I love it. Here's who it's for first. Those of you that at some point in your life, you have said yes to Jesus. But during this year, or or maybe even in the last few years, you feel distant, you feel disconnected, not just from people, but from God as well. And you want to tonight reignite your commitment to surrendering your life to Jesus, to be a light in your family, to be a light in your neighborhood. Like there's enough uncertainty and hopelessness that you want to commit to growing closer to God in this coming year because you need him now more than ever. That's for for those of you that you've already said yes to Jesus. The second group is for anyone watching right now, you've never made that decision. You never crossed the line of faith and you need to give your heart to God. You need to know that religion can't save you. Your good works can't save you. Only by opening the door of your heart to Jesus do you invite him in to come take up residence in your life and make your heart 
his home. And if that describes you right now, that, that something right now is tugging on your heart or you feel like your heart is about to, to explode, it's about to beat out of your chest, that's God speaking to you. The Bible says, behold, he's standing at the door of your life and he's knocking, waiting for you to invite him in. And here's what I want you to know. You are not guaranteed to have another moment like this again. Perhaps someone uh, is watching and listen, I'm not being dramatic, I'm not being morbid, but this might be your final opportunity. Like I'm no prophet. I don't know what the future holds for you. Here's what I do know. It is a dangerous world. And every day that we have on this earth is a gift and none of us are promised tomorrow. And if this is your last chance and you're gonna stand before God, here's the question, are you ready? Are you ready to meet your, your maker? Because if not, listen, you can be. And so right now, I'm gonna invite you to pray a prayer with me. It's a prayer that opens the door to your heart and invites Jesus into your life. For some of you, this will be a first time decision. For others of you, you're the, the prodigal son or prodigal daughter and you have wandered far away in your faith. You've struggled to find your way and this will be your chance to rededicate your life to God. If you're ready right now, just say this prayer out loud with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself and I believe that you can. You sent Jesus to restore what was broken in my life. Thank you for allowing him to take my sin to the cross so I could be free. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or, or you recommitted your life to Jesus, you ready? Here's what I want you to text. Text YES to Jesus to 97000. Yes to Jesus to 97,000 or simply scan that QR code right there with your phone. And perhaps you're watching tonight and you weren't ready to make that decision. You simply need more information about what it means to, to say yes to Jesus. I want you to text yes to Jesus as well. And we'll send you a link that lets us know you want more information. And we'll, we'll give you more information. In fact, we'll even give you a chance to connect with someone on our team if you want to talk to them. No pressure. Hey, if you made that decision tonight to give your life to Jesus or recommit to following him, let me just be the first to say congratulations. It's the best decision that you'll ever make.